the problem with short-term rentals is everyone's like, oh, I'm going to just buy this house and I'm going to put furniture in it. They forget, like, you have to upgrade everything. You have to upgrade the plumbing. You have to put new toilets in. And all those things cost a lot of money. So you're automatically, you're upside down to start. And then you got to start making the money back. So it's, it's not an easy business to get up and running. You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures. And law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Hello, hello, hello. It's the Real Estate Law Podcast. Jason Muth here with attorney broker Rory Gill from Next Home Title Town Real Estate and Urban Village Legal. And Rory, we have another short-term rental conversation today with one of the big players in one of the biggest short-term rental markets in the country that is Las Vegas. Rory, what do you think about this conversation? I know you in particular must be very excited about this conversation because we get to hop right into short-term rentals. It's your, the center of your world. And we get to talk about a different market, something that's very, very different from New England and with properties that are very different from the ones that we operate. So um, right. I'm looking forward to hear uh, how that all plays out. Now, I've been to Las Vegas a lot, at least 25 times, all right, you know, throughout my career. And this guy, this is Jason Griggs from Las Vegas by way of New York, right? Yes, by way of New York. I love how you threw that in for me. Well, that is... New York, I'm a New Yorker too, so. Really? What part? I'm from Rockland County, New York. Okay, upstate. Love it. Ups. That's where my mom's from. <laughs> I love how you call it upstate, which means that you're from New York City, right? No, Long Island. Long Island. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well. So in New York, everything north of New York City, if you live in New York City, <laughs> that's upstate. So Yonkers. 100%. Yep. Yonkers is upstate. And it's the most southern tip of Westchester <laughs> County. <laughs> I love that's, it. Yep. The way I grew up, man. That's the way we, That's the way we roll with it. Yeah, but you're out on the island. So are you Mets and Jets, like a lot of Long Islanders? Or- I am. I'm actually a Cowboys fan, but I'm a Yankee, big Yankee fan. Okay, interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of Yankee fans on the island. We're up in Boston. We're in Newburyport, Massachusetts right now, but I've been in Boston for you know 20 something years where I grew up around here. And people up here don't understand how the New York sports teams have such a divide in the area. Like if you're a Yankees fan, you are not a Mets fan. If you're a Giants right. fan, you're not a Jets fan. And people don't get that up here because, you know, it's pretty diehard. But Vegas has some some good pro sports going on now. You got the yeah, Vegas. man, it, it exploded, which was really cool. I've been out here 13 years, and I'm a huge sports fan. I coach lacrosse out here. And the hockey team, when they came, it turned it into a full, full-blown full sports city. And then obviously once the Raiders came, but it's amazing. The Raider games are amazing. All the hockey games are amazing. And we're turning into like a mega sports little town. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think once everyone got over the whole betting element to it, you know, because sports betting is legal pretty much not everywhere now, but, you know, we we have sports betting legal in Massachusetts now. It's legal almost throughout New England. A couple states are holdouts. I think people kind of got over it. And that was always the fear in Las Vegas that there would be games getting rigged or something. Yeah, that's so silly, right? But it works. I mean, everybody everybody loves coming here for the games. There's a lot of guest fans that come. It's awesome. Yeah. So, Rory, I promised a short-term rental conversation. We're talking about sports right now. What about, <laughs> the reason we have Jason here today is not just to talk about sports, but we have, but you know, he's an expert in short-term rentals, but you've really only been doing it the past couple years. Um, you've just taken off for you really quickly. Fill us in a little bit on your background, your background in real estate, and what made you jump into the short-term rental space. Yeah, so 
I was a teacher when 13 years ago, I moved to Vegas. I was a elementary school phys ed teacher and I loved coaching and coaching lacrosse. And I kind of got paved into being a real estate agent. And I quickly realized when I got into real estate here, the real estate was really cheap compared to where I'm from and all these other bigger markets. And so I had a, my cousin of mine was like, let's just start buying rental properties. And this is eight, nine years ago. And so we just started buying little three, two rental properties in Henderson near the good public school. And we saw that it was a really good rental market and it still is. And as time went on, I just started buying, you know, my long-term rentals. And then I had a mentor of mine, Sean Cunningham, who was a big property manager in this town. He's like, look, I know you love long-term rentals, but I got to get you involved in short-term rentals. These things are pumping. They're, they're making big money. And I heard about the rules and the laws and all these different, you know, kind of challenges that go on here in our city. But once he showed me it, I was hooked because I love long-term rentals. And so these are just like rentals on steroids. So that's kind of how I got involved in it. And the real reason why I got involved in it, because I had so many people that were wanting to visit and I saw like a real niche. There was not, there's only like two big hotels here in Henderson and Henderson's big. And I was like, so many people need to stay in Henderson, whether it be for hockey or lacrosse or soccer or whatever. They just want to come and go to the strip. And I was like, I need to build out some really good rental properties for the short term people who want to come. And that's how I started. So tell me about your guest avatar. Is it the same across all your properties or do you kind of cater to different audiences? It was not what I thought. It's a good question. I thought it was going to be all bachelor parties and all these different things. But it's I would say it's only like 40% of that. It's a lot of family reunions. It's a lot of soccer tournaments. It's a lot of sports events. It's a lot of uh, people come and they do these conventions, a lot of those. I've been renting out a, a lot to the Formula One employees that have to stay here for three, four, five months to build out the project. Amazon uh, moved here. So it's way different than when I first thought of what it was going to be like. Yeah, sometimes you just kind of have to figure that out once you launch. I mean, you should launch with a guest avatar. You know, so if you launched with bachelor parties, bachelor parties in mind, you know, it's good because you pick a direction, you pick your decor and your messaging and, you know, your your copy for your listing and everything with that in mind. But then as it evolves, you see the market shift a little bit and more opportunities open up for uh, everything you've mentioned. I mean, people come into the area for work. A lot of times, you know, hey, if you have, what are your properties like? I mean, you have one big property you just mentioned, 9,000 square foot place, which we'll talk about in a second, but the rest are not 9,000 square feet. Right? No, they're, they're four beds. They're 2,500 square feet with pools. I do have a few luxury ones, but to answer your question, it's just, I made my properties really luxurious where the pictures stand out, where people, if they're going to come to Las Vegas, if they're going to come to Las Vegas, then they want to stay in a really nice place. So what we did was we emulated the Encore and the Wynn Hotel. If you go to the Encore and the Wynn Hotel, it's five star, it's five diamond, it's beautiful. You come in, it smells good. It just feels like a really nice place to want to stay and live. And that's kind of what we did. So a place like standard 2,500 square foot property, right, that looks similar to the Encore or Wynn, what are you putting into it when you when you take ownership of the property? Like, what's your budget like on average for a renovation? We want to stay that this is the biggest problem with short term rentals is people over overspend on the rehab 
and they overspend on the furniture. So every property is different. On a regular four three with a pool, we want to budget around fifty thousand bucks for construction and furnishing. I have my costs are around twenty to twenty five to furnish an entire house, and that's kind of being strategic and going and using things like Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace, getting newer stuff that's been used a little bit. And because you don't want to go buy all the furniture, right? And go put that in because it's going to get ruined. It's going to get worked. It's going to get beat up a little bit. And then you're going to obviously have to replace it at a point. You got to be really smart with your budget. The amount you gave actually struck me as relatively low. We're just furnishing kind of a, a lake house in New Hampshire. And the costs of that have been out of control to, to furnish it from scratch. So you said that you look at places like Craigslist and Facebook marketplaces, but does that turn into a full-time job in its own right, designing and finding furniture? It does. It does. And now you got to delegate that. So you got to hire somebody. We've found a few designers who will kind of work with us. And it's been cool kind of having a good social media following. It's kind of like a win-win. So they'll give us a discount on doing the work for us and we'll promote them that they designed our property. Yeah. What are the design fees like? Is it percentage of what they spend? Like 20, 25% or something? I, I'm doing one now. It's a five-bedroom house and they are charging me $5,000 to set up fee. So she's picking out all the furniture. She's going to the house, opening all the boxes, setting it all up. And then whatever I spend. But I will say this. Things are a lot cheaper here than where we're from. <laughs> yeah. Like significantly cheaper. All the construction costs is cheaper. All the furniture is cheaper. Everything is a lot cheaper. Yeah. I think for our place, I mean, the one that Rory referenced, we just built a house in New Hampshire. It's our fifth short-term rental and it's by two other ones that we have. And literally built it from the ground up, got construction permits. You know, I watched the septic design. I watched the septic tank go in. I watched the foundation go in, everything. So ground up, looks beautiful. But, you know, you take ownership of this place and there's nothing in it, zero. Like we're not buying a furnished place. It's done. So I've never done yeah. that before from the ground up. And, you know, we're over budget when I thought we'd be. Um, I just took a look a couple days ago and the number was like 80 something. But I think that includes the overages that I paid the builder. You know, and plus I bought some things that the loan didn't cover. So I think I'm in about 55 right now with that build. You know, um, I, I should probably have known this number off the back of my hand. But, you know, when you just start spending money, you just keep spending money, right? <laughs> and it just you know, add it to the list and then eventually you'll recoup it. You know what I found a more strategic, less stressful strategy is I go after them, the furnished ones, the ones that are already all done. Yeah. Doing it like that or finding somebody who is just really good at dialing in a house for you because I did one from scratch. I did two. Actually, I did three and I hate all three of them. I would never do it again. And, yeah. you know, to we'll get into my big one, but it's just a complete headache because you, the problem with short-term rentals is everyone's like, oh, I'm going to just buy this house and I'm going to put furniture in it. They forget, like, you have to upgrade everything. You have to upgrade the plumbing. You have to put new toilets in and all those things cost a lot of money. So you're automatically, you're upside down to start. And then you got to start making the money back. So it's it's not an easy business to get up and running. I mean, it looks easy on social media, doesn't it? Looks looks easy, man. It's, <laughs> but it's not. Yeah, I'll be you know, the first one to tell you. I think what we're we're lucky. We got into this in 2016. You know, so we started stacking properties up over the years. You know, while I was still working full time, and did one a year or so. You know, we didn't scale up as quickly as you did over the past two years, but. 
you know, finally, the the first couple ones that we did, they start actually becoming cash flow positive, you know, not the first year. Like, I mean, like if you could do it the first year, great. But whenever people get into it, I tell them like, you know, your first year is learning. Like, you know, just cover your costs if you can. Like, don't expect that you're going to make a lot of money on this property this very first year, but you'll pay down some mortgage, you'll have tax benefits, it'll appreciate in value and you'll learn a lot and then you'll be able to charge more the next year. And then, you know, you'll eventually what you put into it, you'll be able to pull all that money out and you own this asset. And that's kind of where we are with the first couple of properties. The second one appreciated a ton. And then the fourth one we did buy was was furnished, right? So we did just what you were describing. Like it was a fully furnished place. We took ownership of that one. And yeah, that's cost a lot less. I mean, I think we probably spent ten to 15000 uh, on supply. I mean, a lot of it was supplies, right? You know, so you got to cover the cost right. of sheets and towels and... Mm-hmm. I mean, and no, and that's like I call that a sneaky cost, right? It's like yeah. t- towels can't be expensive, and then you spend six hundred dollars in towels, and you're like, "Whoa, towels are expensive." Yeah, whether you're buying it from Target or a super uh, fancy company, we we've been buying a lot of our th- stuff through Minoan. Do you work with the, that company? No, they're like um, like a host GPO type buying service. I think is what I'm going to write this down now. How do you spell it? M I N O A N. I'll send you my affiliate link. I know, I know the owner. Oh, that, I just, I, I was, I've been, I was in a swimming pool with him back in September, and then I just saw him last week at a conference. So, yeah, he, the great guys. You can get good discounts off of products. Like we buy all of our sheets and towels through Parachute right now. We get like thirty percent off everything. Yeah, I just got a uh, like you know Crate and Barrel, Pottery Barn, that kind of stuff. They usually offer like twenty, thirty percent off the prices that you'd pay retail. Uh, Pollywood, you know, lot, lots of lots of good products there. But go check them out. It's a good, it's it's a good company. They've been on the podcast as well. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. Shout them out. Anyway, we could save save a couple bucks. You know, we're always looking to do that. But yeah, sneaky costs. I've never heard that term. I love that. Oh, yeah. Sneaky. Sneaky is definitely the right word for it, right? Because, that, again, people think it's so easy. Like a toaster oven. Oh, you know, it's 50 bucks. No, toaster ovens are 150 bucks now. Yeah. And it just adds up. Rory, I don't even think you want to know what my linens have cost over the past 12 months. No, I mean, I just see linens everywhere. They just kind of keep showing up and get, they're delivered every day. But, <laughs> you know, and I can only really imagine what it's like with a, a 9,000 square foot property. So I kind of want to jump into that property too, because that one is, that one obviously stands out. Tell us about the property. Tell us what it was like to furnish that one. And then what's what's it like to run such a large um, single unit? So when we saw this property, we, we knew it, it was going to be a huge project. It's a 9,000 square foot mansion. There's a big main house, and then there's actually a second house on property with a casita with two bedrooms there. So it's a total of eight bedrooms. It's just an absolute monster. And it's got a full basketball court, volleyball court, pool. It just has literally everything. Like, you do not need to leave this resort. We we call it a resort. And we just went all in with it. Uh, we bought it for $1.4 million. We put around 280000 into this thing, so we fully remodeled it with the intention of it being like the biggest, baddest Airbnb in Vegas and Henderson. And what we saw when we were doing it was there was no competition. There was no house remotely this size, and so when we released it, it got a lot of pop. We got a lot of attention on it because there's just there's no houses in anywhere in the area within 30 minutes of us that can hold you know, 16 to 20 people. And we've done some events. We've had 50 to 100 people at at our house and it doesn't even put a dent. That's how big it is. So when people come, that's kind of like the feedback we get is this house is so unique. It's so cool. 
you could have so much fun at it. And that's the real goal we were going for was we want to make it the most fun house in Las Vegas. So one thing in there, there really were no comps for it in the area. How do you start setting rates for something like that when you don't have competition to follow? It's a great question. I, I actually get asked that a lot. We kind of threw like, we took a shot in the dark, but I knew like deep down, I was like, this house is so unique and cool and rare. And we just set a price of 2500 a night. And we were like, look, we're not going to go lower than this number. It's unique and people are going to have to pay for unique. And if you do the math, like 15 people, 20 people, 2500 a night, it's not that expensive per person. And so we we tried it and we were getting the numbers that we were aiming for. We were getting 50000 60000 a month on this house. Somebody saw it and we got approached to put the house do a deal with the UFC. And the UFC said, uh, we want to use the house for, for their reality TV shows. And so we did a deal with them shortly after we released it. So we've had it up for, I think, four or five months. And then they came in and rented it for six, seven months. For Power Slap, right? The Power, Dana White's Power Slap and UFC's The Ultimate Fighter. Dana White's, uh, he's a Boston guy. He's from the neighborhood. Yes, he is. Yep. So yeah, he's from Boston. So he's the Southie guy. He is. He is for sure. He's an awesome dude and probably the most surreal experience uh, getting to work with him and his team and Pilgrim Films. And so they're, the second show is going to get released, I think, in two months and it'll, it'll be on ESPN. So, so two years ago, did you think you'd be, you know, here in this position with a 9,000 square foot place that's on reality TV? No, but I work really hard. Um, and with investing, I'm really good at it now with the rental side of things. And now I'm just taking my strategies and my systems and kind of pushing them kind of outside of Henderson because Henderson, we operate in probably the strictest jurisdiction in the entire country, but we get rewarded for it. We get numbers. Our numbers are top of the line compared to other markets, even the bigger markets, the Florida, the Texas and the California markets. So our just our rules are really strict, but to answer your question, no, I didn't. I didn't think I would be buying mansions, but now that's kind of like my mo, where Jason has the coolest houses that you can rent. Yeah. So in terms of restrictions, this is a good kind of pivot into this conversation because uh, people don't always think about restrictions when they want to operate a short term rental. If you're just getting yeah. into the space, you might not even know where where to start looking. I'm curious what some of the what some of Henderson's restrictions are as, as to what makes it such a restrictive place and then what kind of advice you have uh, you give people that are in your you know coaching programs or that you just talk to every day that want to get into the short-term rental space about regulations. So I think regulations are a great thing and everyone you know comes at me, comes at my throat when I say that, but it's a really good thing because you don't want to go invest your money in a saturated market. And so Henderson, just just city of Henderson, not Las Vegas, it's very regulated. So there's only about 320 licenses at a time. And so when you, you need a license per property, and then when you get a license on your property, there's a thousand square foot radius around your house that no other property could come in your zone and get a license. So you're pretty protected and you know what's going on in the market and you could kind of base your projections of, hey, I have... Like I have the biggest one and I have the biggest license. So, and I can see like, who's the next biggest license 
around me. And then I could use those numbers and comp, et cetera. But, you know, in the city of Las Vegas, there's 13,000 running right now and none of them have licenses. And now they're putting the license rules in and they're only giving out 2,800 licenses out of the 13,000 that are operating. So what's happening now is there's going to be a huge shrink of short-term rentals. And I think, well, what I think is going to happen is the value of mine are going to go up because I have those licenses and they're going to be super rare. But I would always recommend to, before when you dive into this business is look at the regulations. Are they involved? Is the city involved in making them legal versus not legal? Because you don't want to go do all this work and then have the city come shut you down because you didn't do research. So I'm dabbling in markets where there are no rules. Kansas City, there's not many rules at all. And the big one I bought in Arizona, uh, Mesa, they don't have any rules either. So we'll see what happens as time goes on. But like having the rules better because you know what you're getting involved in. We'll be right back. Every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong. The only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals taking into account reserves, true cash flow, including depreciation, and your true net equity on a property is the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to refp.info forward slash free to download it today. Yeah, a lot of the markets that don't have the rules you know, what I've heard other people mention is they'll grandfather you in, you know, but that's clearly not the case in Las Vegas, right? If they're only giving out a sixth of the licenses for the properties that are already existing right now, that that is shocking to me. I've never heard something like that before. Yeah, well, I think, like, you just got to do them right. Like, I'm a licensed property manager. I'm a real estate professional. And you have people who do them kind of crappy, right? They just take a house, they throw it on. The house isn't functional the right way. It's not safe. And they just have these crazy parties and it, it's not it's not a right thing to do to the neighborhood. And so what Henderson does, which is, I think, a great idea, is it uh, it notifies your neighbors that there's a short-term rental coming in your neighborhood. And if there's any issues, there's a hotline that you can call and report the operator. And so if I get reported, I get a $500 fine every time somebody calls. So I got to make sure that everything is on point, making sure that my guests know the rules and letting them know, hey, you're in a nice neighborhood with neighbors around, so be super respectful. Well, besides that messaging, which is important, you know, we put some messaging about having family nearby and people that live, you know, um, our neighbors live here year round, you know, and they're great members of the community. So, you know, I think that we we stress that in all the communication Mm -hmm. with our guests and we knock wood haven't really had any issues. What do you use for tech in terms of noise monitoring or cameras or anything to protect the property and protect yourself? We have those, um, I forgot the name of those noise monitors, but they're required by the city. So a city inspector comes before they give you the license. And if it doesn't pass code, then you don't get your license. But we use the ring door, all the ring products. We love the floodlight and looking into the driveway, the front door camera. We don't put any other cameras in our property, not even to the outside portion. We want the guests to have feel they have full privacy, but we do have a ton of those noise meters uh, throughout the inside of the home and outside. So if it gets too loud, we get notified. 
and we have an like an AI, a VA who will get the notification and message the guests immediately telling them to quiet down. We take all these precautions thinking that guests are going to come through and damage the property or behave um, ridiculously. But the truth is I haven't seen that bad behavior. It's pretty rare, actually. But do you Have you had any incidents with bad guests um, destroying the property or upsetting the neighbors? Yeah. Yeah, I have. I mean, I, I think the the market you're in and the market I'm in is different, right? People are coming to Vegas to party and yep. they get lit and they're drunk and they get a little stupid. But yeah, I've had dumb guests. I've had professional athletes tra- trash my house. It's just it's just the nature of the beast of what we're in. It doesn't bother me as long as they fix it and pay for it. Just like going into it, you got to know that people will mess up your house. Like they're not going to treat it like their house. They're treating it like a hotel. And I would say 90% of guests that go into hotels, you know, they're messy. They're just like messy because they know it's going to get fixed. And so that's kind of the way I look at it. How's your insurance? Wow. Well, I got that. So the city requires, we have to have a million dollars liability coverage on every single property, which I think is great. That's a great rule. And then we... With State Farm, you could have a separate short-term rental umbrella into that policy, and we use that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything you've mentioned, it just tells me short-term rentals have grown up, right, over the years. You know, when we first started in 2016, actually, Rory's parents said it before we did, but, you know, back when Airbnb was getting going, you know, it was very much the Wild West. And you didn't hear of a lot of people that were doing it, but the people that were doing it, people got curious. Hey, what are you doing renting your place out, you know, by the week? How's that going? And then, you know, it got really popular over the past couple of years. You know, uh, it really spiked uh, during the pandemic, you know, once all the bookings came off the calendar, but then everything rebooked solid for what a good year, year and a half, 2021, 2022, to the point that neighbors are probably asking questions, municipalities are asking questions. And, you know, hosts like yourself, you're doing the right thing. Like you want to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing. We all want to operate our properties correctly. And, you know, everyone hears the the bad stories in the news of the party that trashed the place or, you know, when Airbnb puts out a new policy, it's always it always seems like it's against hosts. It's in the favor of the guests because it's a bad thing that happened. But comments on kind of the direction of where things are headed for uh, short term rentals. Are you optimistic that we have not reached our peak just yet? Where do you see this heading this year in, into next? I do think eventually every city will create a policy because it is a great money maker for the city. Like in my opinion, Vegas is losing so much money by not tax. We get taxed. We, we have to pay an 11% tax uh, per booking. And so we charge the guests that tax. And so for the city of Las Vegas, I mean, it's the number one tourist city in the world. And if you like kind of embrace this business, more people will come. Because every hotel is sold out anyway. So why not give options to have people come to our city? And I'm seeing like different types of cities kind of like popping up, like weird, like Joshua Joshua Tree. Like you would never think like Joshua Tree is in the middle of freaking nowhere. Like there is nothing to do there. And it's popular. And so these trendy little cool places, I I think it's it's more fun for the guests because now they could kind of op, they could go and kind of maneuver around the country and say, "Hey, I want to go check out this place in the middle of nowhere and rent 
a tent uh, that's like a house. And so, I don't know, to answer your question, I think it's going to be, it's going to get more and more unique. I think it's going to get more adaptable. I think it's going to be more common. Um, I hope it doesn't get too saturated, but it's a hard business to run. So I'm not too worried about it because not too many people can operate. It takes a lot of manpower and work and a lot of people are lazy, so they won't do it. Yeah. It looks so easy on the surface, but you know, yeah. the conference I went to last, last week was the STR wealth conference. Out How was that? Uh, excellent. It's great. I'm, I'm in one of those guys, uh, mastermind groups. So I'm in Mike Sojourn's mastermind, but Mike and Bill put it on. And either you would think everyone's got a place in Joshua Tree or in uh, in the Smokies. Or I was just going to say Nashville, right? Everyone, that's what Nashville's the big one now. Everyone, yeah, the Smokies, the Poconos, uh, Joshua Tree. It's like all the bloggers, all the influencers. Everyone's talking about the same exact markets. You know, I kind of found in my own little New England contingency when I went there, and you know, I, I knew a bunch of the people there because of the mastermind and other conferences I've been to. But, you know, we New Englanders are few and far between at conferences like that. And we're happy with that. Like, I don't need y'all giving attention to what's happening in New England. Like, we got... Right, right. It's kind of like a right? kept secret, right? Yeah, I'm totally get with you. Did anybody bring a Vegas at all? I didn't hear... I mean, I'm sure there were people... There were a thousand people there, right? I didn't talk to a thousand of them. But, like, I, we weren't really talking Vegas that much. But it was an excellent conference. So they put on a great conference. They had, you know, talking about digital marketing, talking about insurance, legal issues, design. You know, so everything you're talking about, about making your properties unique, that was a huge, you know, a huge theme throughout the entire conference. And they were showcasing some of the experiential rooms that have been done, you know, the murals, the wallpaper, the things that make the photos pop, uh, you know, just things that will set a property apart from just a standard, you know, four, three or three, two place in a random suburb that suddenly somebody bought and wanted to make it to an Airbnb and they shouldn't have. Right. Right. But yeah, no, it was, it was a good. Well, you should you should attend next year. They're actually expanding. I've been place. trying to speak at it. Mean, I do a lot of speakings. Um, oh yeah, for short term. Yeah, and I don't know, not to too my or too much, but I feel like it's what we're doing is really unique, and the city that I operate is really unique. And so when people kind of listen to me and you know, kind of what I do, they're like, "Oh, come talk about that because it's different." Yeah, and that's why I asked you. Like, I, the rules here are just nuts. It's like really hard to operate here. And other people just do it and they're like, wow, we have no rules. It's great. We have no rules. And I can't believe you have rules. And so I'm going to try and get in there next year. I will introduce you to Mike, who put, who's one of the people putting it on. Next okay. year, they have like three or 4,000 people that are going there. They're switching venues and they have Damon John as like the keynote. Oh, that's awesome. From Shark Tank. So, uh, and they actually are pledging to have new speakers at the next conference. I think the past couple of conferences they've done, it's been kind of the same faces on stage and they're good faces, but. Uh, they could probably use some some fresh blood in there. So I'll I'll <laughs> that would be that would be great. Would I really can't I can't that. guarantee he'll launch you on stage, but at least say you know what I can't get you the job, but yeah, uh, I can get you the the intro. What I say is I I say I got the bad, biggest bad short term rental in the country, and then they're like yeah yeah yeah, and then I show it to them, they're like oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're like all right, well you are not lying. I do want to make sure we put a link to that property in the show notes here. So, you know, make sure you send that over to me. Uh, but I'll shoot that over to you for sure. Yeah. Um, and then if you guys ever come to Vegas, I'd be happy to let you guys use it and check it out. Wow. Look at that. We'll, we'll bring all of our Ultimate Fighter fans. Uh, our do friends. it, man. Yeah. I, I'm a wrestling guy, though. So I like, I like the pro wrestling instead. Let's get to our final questions and then we can uh, have you tell everybody where they can learn more about you. Uh, we ask these of all of our guests that come on the podcast, really simple questions just to tie things up and get to know you a little bit better. 
First question, if you can get on stage for a half hour and talk about anything in the world, like maybe at next year's short-term wealth conference, what would that be? I have a real passion for giving back. And so I coach lacrosse here, and I absolutely love coaching and giving back to the community. And by doing that for years, for no pay and just out of enjoyment, it's really helped me succeed in business. And I've gotten great opportunities from the parents of the kids that I coach because I give back. And now, you know, using that level up and I, I work for one of the parents of the kids that I coach and he's given me like a plethora of opportunities to better my life through real estate. And I could go, I could go talk about that for a long time. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Giving back is a good part of this business. You know, once you reach that level that you, you can give back time-wise or money-wise, it's good that you do. I did it without the money. <laughs> it came later. <laughs> Second question we have, tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. Both of my parents were teachers growing up, and I saw kind of the way they lived and kind of some of the things they instilled in me, and I didn't love it. I didn't want to live paycheck to paycheck. I didn't want to... My mom would always say, you know, you could be a teacher and get the summers off. I always had like this entrepreneurial mindset. And so th I think that really played a big factor in it of I didn't want. I see a lot of people do the opposite. They just kind of fall into the path of their parents of and where they grew up. And I did something totally different. I moved to Vegas when I was 21 by myself. And so I think that really triggered something in my brain to just go for it and do something different. Yeah. And you started as a teacher. And then started as a, I, you know, I did, I kind of did go into that path and then I hated it. I just didn't see growth and potential in my life. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do something different. And I'm, I'm glad I did. Final question. Uh, tell us something that you're listening to or watching or reading these days. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alex Brayshaw. Join me as I celebrate the positive impact of business and what drives the people behind it. It's a chance to hear from business leaders, emerging sectors and industry influencers about their unfinished business in just 25 minutes. I watch all of Pace Morby's stuff. He's really the only guy. I'm not a big uh, like rah-rah guy. I don't really follow those motivational speakers. But I think what Pace puts out is the best on the entire planet. Um, I buy a lot of properties with creative financing. It's the best way to buy real estate. Don't need loans. Um, you could get them for a substantial amount of money off. And so I've bought six creative finance deals this year. My goal was five, and it's only March something, and I bought six of them. So... That if my best advice is to read everything that guy puts out, watch everything that guy puts out, he's the best guy for real estate right now. It's not even close. Your your Mesa deal is is that a sub two deal? Yes. Yeah, it was. Real, not to open up the conversation again, but really quickly, can you tell the audience what is a sub two deal? Like, what does that mean? A subject two deal is um, you're basically taking over the mortgage payments from the seller, and so I'll go into the Arizona deal. Um, Arizona seller was operating an, an Airbnb property. He had a tax issue and he also had uh, a family accident and he just needed some cash quickly. 
And so I gave him a good amount of cash and I just took over his payments and he deeded me over the property. And so I'm into that property. It was a $1.1 million house. I put $150,000 down and it's a really good investment. But the main reason why I bought that was to use it for myself. Um, but it is going to turn into a really good investment. And interestingly, with a sub two deal, if you're taking over the mortgage, and Rory, maybe you know the answer to this, but you know we've done a couple of DSCR loans where we're technically not supposed to occupy the property. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're allowed to go there if we're if we have maintenance days and everything, and you know we're not going to do a DSCR loan at a high rate and then go stay there for like five months during the high season, right? That would be stupid. But in a sub two deal, can not that you're going to move to Mesa, but are you allowed to use it freely, or do they, the days you're there yeah. become maintenance days somehow? Yeah, no, I could do whatever. It's my house. You know, just because just because the mortgage is in somebody else's name, you could do whatever you want with it. That's the best part about creative finance. You could structure it however you want. And so this deal was, I would say it was up there with one of the trickiest deals I've ever done. It took a long time. It took a few lawyers involved. It took, because we did a hybrid and we did uh, we were financing him the equity that he has too. Um, but it all worked out. It, it was just like a war of just going at the bat every day and getting it done. But we got it done. We got it done last week, Friday. Awesome. Congrats. I, I saw some video on YouTube that you did a walkthrough of that property, and the backyard is pretty sick. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm gonna, I'm actually filming one right now of how I structured the deal. I'll release that so you can watch that because it's, it's like for the normal person, they're not going to be able to understand what I did. So I'm going to try and dummy it down. But I, forever's li if anybody's listening, creative finance is the greatest thing that I've ever learned in my whole life, and it's not even close. So learn it, go on Pace's free free YouTube, and watch as many videos as, as you can, because as we go kind of going into a little bit of a downturn, slower cycle with, with the market, you're going to see a lot more people who are hurting or just not in a good space financially. Rory, I brought up creative financing to you multiple times and subject to deals. And I, I don't, I still don't understand why this is not more common in this space. And why the only people that know about it are people like you, Jason, and people that are in Pace's group and follow him. I think this should be something that is much more common for the average homeowner to understand too. Yeah. But I am seeing, I don't want to go too much into it, but I am seeing agents understanding it now where when I call, I call every listing of houses that I like here in Las Vegas and I pitch it to everyone. Hey, would you sell or do an owner will carry? Like, well, what's the benefit to them? I'll give them more money. They're guaranteed more money. And they're like, well, I want to get paid. You can get paid. I'll make sure you get paid. I'll pay your fee. And then they're like, oh, okay, great. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so it, it is being more, it's going to be more common. It's only common in kind of uh, like the, the market is stale right now. It's not hot. It's not cold. It's kind of like even. Um, if the market ever went cold, it would be super popular again. But when the market's hot, no one's going to do creative financing. Or any final words on creative financing before we uh, wrap it up? No, I mean, it's just, it's a, you also don't hear about it because it takes more work from people too. And people don't necessarily want to do it. And it doesn't work in all situations. You know, it's not going to work with every seller. It's not going to work in every little market. So that's why a lot of real estate agents who only know how to sell a single family home for one yeah. owner occupant to the next, they're never going to come across this and they don't really have the incentive to discover it. But it, you know, you, if you're working in the corners or working in the niches where this is a really valuable tool, you should know it. 
Yeah, it's fun. I'll give you a quick story. So let, two weeks ago, I had an agent bring me a house. They couldn't sell it. There, was, there wasn't much equity in it, and the house was foreclosing. And I saved the seller from being foreclosed on. And I just did the deal because I, I do a lot of them. And by the end, the guy was, the seller was like tearing up on the phone thanking me because he was about to have his world flipped upside down over a $17,000 lien that he couldn't get out of. And I helped him with that. And now he could go move and do whatever he wants to do next. But could you imagine you can't pay your mortgage. There's no educated people out there to help them. He, like if you get your credit screwed up, you can't even go rent another apartment. And this guy would have been screwed all the way around. So it, it is a good thing to know. And you are helping a lot of people. And that's what Pace does too. Yeah. You know, it's, it doesn't sound predatory at all. In fact, it's, it is win-win because you're coming in there. It's a huge win solving their problem. Um, you know, so being the educator that you are, Jason, uh, you have a, um, you have some kind of course or mentoring program that. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of, I got out of teaching them getting back into it. Mm -hmm. I educate a lot of realtors and kind of beginners of just to start investing in rental properties, not a flipper. Never be a flipper. Um, and then I do the short-term rental education. So my website is winwithairbnb.com. I'll help you find a market to invest in. I'll help you show the systems that I use. If you want to uh, manage it yourself or you want to hire property managers. And it's working. A lot of people are kind of relating to me because I'm not some huge business guy. I, I was a regular teacher, blue-collar worker and kind of got into this entrepreneurial world. And so it's really cool to see my students and friends kind of follow in the footsteps. Awesome. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Rory, where can people get a hold of you? Uh, people can find me either at my real estate brokerage, Next Home Tettletown, that's nexthometettletown.com, or my law practice, Urban Village Legal, urbanvillagelegal.com. All right. Well, that's another great episode. I can't wait to see this property. I actually have not seen the 9,000 square foot place. So once once I get that link, mm -hmm. make sure that's in the show notes. But I'm going to check that one out. Shoot me a text. Uh, actually, I'll email it to you. I'll yeah. email. We did this really cool promo video for it, and I will send it over to you. Awesome. Yeah. And next time we're in Vegas, we will come say hi. Maybe I'll see you on stage next year at the uh, STR World. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, I would love to. I would love to speak at that event. I'm not a big event goer. I'll go if I speak because I feel like it's so much better networking and, and when you're when you're talking about it. So yeah. please, that would be great. Yeah, heck, when you're on the stage, everyone wants to come up and talk to you. You know, when you're not on the stage, you gotta you know apply your craft and the work the crowd. Yeah, I don't know. I just I like I like going and speaking. I'm, I yeah. feel like I'm getting better at it, and I, I can't sit still. So I can't uh, go and just sit and listen to five speakers in a row. So let's say a luxury property panel or something along that line. I don't know. But again, this is not my not my conference. I'll do it for free or whatever you could do to get me in there. <laughs> Edit that part out just in case you have to <laughs> work out of feet. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening to the Real Estate Law Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, I really hope you give us a great review or a five-star review. We love those. It helps more people hear the podcast and it expands the reach of this so more people can learn from great guests like Jason. Uh, so, Jason, thanks so much for being here. Thank Rory. you, guys. Uh, best of luck with the podcast. See you soon. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. Bye. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures. And law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Titletown. 
Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.